together. And in this series of Together with the book of Galatians, we have discovered a number of things where we've been talking about a gospel-focused church will be unified together. A gospel-focused church will have unique stories. A gospel-focused church will allow God to work. A gospel-focused church will stand together. And this morning is a gospel-focused church will unite in grace. We're talking about being unified together rather than just being by ourselves. And in our life, we've all experienced this. There's times in your life when you are told no. I don't like to be told no. It's not fun at all. But sometimes when you are told no, it's the kindest and the nicest and the safest thing you can possibly be told. My son now has his L plates. And as an L plater, I'm beginning to look around as we drive. And I mean, he's a pretty good driver. Those of you who have driven with your children, you understand that you drive around and you begin to notice all the dangers that are around and all the things that could possibly be dangerous. And if you've ever driven, which I'm sure you have, off the off-ramp of a freeway and looked in your rear vision mirror, there's a sign that says, wrong way, go back. If you happen to turn down the wrong way of the freeway, there's a big red sign that says, go back. Essentially, it's telling you no. And you have the physical ability to keep driving. You've seen the sign, wrong way, go back. And you can say, well, that doesn't apply to me. I am the exception. And you can continue driving down that that wrong way. You have the physical ability to do it. But when you do that, it's a danger to yourself. It's certainly a danger to others. And someone coming along with a big sign or coming, someone honking the horn and telling you, stop, you're going the wrong way. You think, I don't like to be told no. But in reality, it's the kindest and the safest thing you can possibly be told. This morning, we're talking about how to tell somebody no, to confront, but same time is in unity. How do we tell someone you're doing, you're going down the wrong path, what you're doing is not right, and still have unity together? Because more often than not, we think that if someone tells us no, it's because they don't like me. Or they tell me no because they hate me. But in reality, it's because of love. And because of something we're looking at this morning is the grace of God. Because of I've experienced grace, I can extend grace to other people and we can actually have unity when we'll naturally have division. In our society today, there's so many opportunities and things that are driving us apart, that are pulling us apart, that are causing division in our families, in our workplaces, in our home, but also in the local church. And the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians is addressing some very serious things. I'm going to give you an overview. I've talked about this in the past weeks. I'll give you a very brief overview of what's taking place here. This book of Galatians is written by a man named Paul. Early before Paul became Paul, he was known as a man named Saul. And Saul went to a very exclusive schools. He was taught and sat. It doesn't sound very impressive to us today, but he sat at the most 
the feet of a man named Gamaliel. And at that time, that was very prestigious. And he rose above the other students where he became what was known as a Pharisee, a religious leader of the, of the law. And he wasn't just a Pharisee. He described himself as a Pharisee of the Pharisees. In other words, I just didn't know the law. I loved it and I lived it. And as he began to observe this new church is starting up following Jesus Christ, he became incredibly zealous because these people were Jews that were not following the law that he loved. So he got permission from the high priest to go out and begin to beat and to persecute Christians and throw them into prison. He, you imagine being afraid of having your door knocked down and being dragged out because you're a Christian and thrown into prison. So during this time, people were afraid of Saul. And God did something, or Jesus Christ did something that only Jesus Christ could do. As Saul was on his way to a city to persecute Christians and throw them into prison, Jesus Christ came to him and transformed his life. And Paul was going towards the city in order to persecute, and then he entered the city as a Christian and began to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, the fact that Jesus Christ was the only way. And Jesus, in his incredible sense of humor, a man that would never have associated with Gentiles previously because he was a follower of the law, was now called to share the good news of the gospel with people that he would never have associated with otherwise. And he wasn't the only one told that. Other people like the Apostle Peter and others were told the same thing by God. And they, they were, that was the truth, that the gospel of Jesus Christ was for everyone, not just for Jews. And Paul, over the course of a number of years, became a, a, a pastor and evangelist and went out and began to preach the gospel and started a number of churches. And this area in modern day Turkey called Galatia, which is have the book of Galatians. There's a number of, of cities there that he helped start. And he went through incredible persecution. He was beaten and was driven out of, of the cities. But strong churches were started. And he went back to his home church and began to report. And not long after, he heard word that some people had come behind him and were teaching another gospel. And this other gospel we see in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, is a gospel that is not the truth. It was, in order to be a Christian, you have to follow the law and also Jesus Christ. And that's not what we find in the Bible at all. It's Jesus Christ and him alone. And when Paul heard that, that's why he wrote the book of Galatians, in order to bring unity where it naturally would have brought division. Because you have people that said, we are far more spiritual than those people because we have the law and Jesus Christ. But that's not salvation at all. It's only through Jesus Christ and him alone. As a result of that, Paul went into Jerusalem with some others and began to talk with the religious leaders and uh, people like Peter, who was the apostle Peter, who was, who was the, really the, 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 the head of the church at that time. And they talked with the leaders and they got permission and they got their, their support that the gospel was only through Jesus Christ, not Jesus Christ and the law. That brings us up to Galatians chapter 2, verse 21. It gives us really the summary of what we're speaking of this morning. I do not nullify the grace of God, 
Now, I do not nullify. Let's turn that around. Instead of that, I do not, what does he do? I am building up. I am sharing. I am living in the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. And this morning, our principle again is a gospel-focused church will unite in grace. Paul, at this time, was in Jerusalem. He had stood up and he had shared what God had done in his life. And the people all agreed that the gospel was only through Jesus Christ and him alone, not the gospel and the law. And then soon after, from verse 11 on, we see Paul having to confront somebody that was older than him, someone that had a reputation, of a positive reputation, it was the Apostle Peter. He was a person that he respected, and he was confronting him with truth. And how do we confront and still have unity? How can we say no to someone when no one really wants to be told no and not cause that to be disunifying in our churches and our families? How does it actually bring us together instead? You see, there's a big difference between the law and grace. The law prohibits, whereas grace invites and gives. The law condemns the sinner, whereas grace redeems the sinner. The law says do, grace says done. The law says continue to be holy. Grace says it is finish. The law condemns the very best man, whereas grace saves even the very worst. The law says pay what you owe, whereas grace says I freely forgive you all. Law says the wages of sin is death, whereas grace says the gift of God is eternal life. How do we confront with unity as the goal? How do we confront something that would naturally cause division where our goal is grace and unity? Jesus addresses how we confront a person that sinned against us. In Matthew chapter number 18, Jesus gives a teaching about private sin. If someone has privately hurt you, what are you supposed to do? And he says in verse number 15, If your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. So if someone's hurt you privately, you go and you confront them privately. And it says, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. It goes on in that passage and it describes if, if that person doesn't listen to you, go to two or three witnesses and, and, and bring them along and confront the person together as a unified body. And then if they ignore that, then bring them before the church. And if they ignore that, then, then, then forget them and leave them to their own devices. But that's when it comes private. But when there is a public disagreement or something that's publicly affecting more than just a single person, that's where we see what takes place in Galatians chapter number 2, where it becomes something that is public. Paul and Peter are in a public matter, and it's affecting many people. Let me read verses 11 through 14 of Galatians chapter number 2, where it says, But when Cephas, Cephas is another name for Peter, 
when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. These uh, circumcision party is a weird name for saying the people who are followers of the law. It is a really weird name to call them that. And it wasn't like a party like they got together. It wasn't like a fun party. It was people that were followers of the law. And as followers of the law, these people showed up where Peter was earlier having a nice meal with Gentiles. Now, historically, Gentiles and Jews would not publicly meet together. They would be separate. But Peter was living in grace and he was living in the Christ alone. And then all of a sudden, these people, other people came who were the on the outside extra spiritual and they were extra religious. And when Peter saw them, he just goes, I'm going to ignore the people that I was eating with and I'm going to go and just quietly act like I wasn't with them at all. And that it didn't just affect him. He began to influence others. It goes on, it says in verse number 13, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So, but when I saw that the conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not a Jew, in other words, a follower of Jesus Christ and him alone, rather than the law of God, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? This was something that was public and that could have caused division. Everything could have fallen apart had Peter not been confronted. His reputation would have been lost. And this was a, a battle for what is right versus what is, sounds religious but is not biblically correct. This morning, we're looking at conf confrontation, the fact that it is essential to the gospel and unity. We have two questions this morning we're going to look at. And we're going to look at them really quite practically. And the two questions are this. What is my motivation? And secondly, what is the solution? What is my motivation and what is the solution? To confront a person that you respect, you have to stand for unity. That's the goal. It's not to push them down. It's to ultimately bring you together. First one, what is my motivation? This is a check of your motivation. Some people just want to fight. That's not me personally. I don't enjoy conflict. I have lots of energy and lots of enthusiasm up here, but I really don't like telling people, no, you're wrong. Silently in my head, I think we all do it. Like, I know they're wrong. But I don't like controversy. I don't like, I don't like confronting people. And people that do, they, people say, well, I just like to stir the pot or I like to just get a reaction out of people. And there's, there's a natural way that people often do that. And even my children find that they do that. And I don't know if your kids, maybe the school holidays are just long enough where they, they, they say things and do things just to get a rise out of you. I won't tell you which of my three children looked me up and down the other day, looked me up and down, paused for a moment and said, you're looking old, just to get a rise out of me. 
We have online subscription for Disney Plus. And you have the nice little icons for the family members. And my icon was a nice one. And one of my children, which I'm unaware of which one it was, changed my profile picture to Jabba the Hutt. And if you know who Jabba the Hutt is, he's a, he's a fat alien slug. And they do things just to get a rise out of you. When we confront somebody... We need to check our motivation. Is it because I want to get a rise out of them, because I want to stir the pot, or is it because I really care for others? We, we, our motivation should be to care for others. In verse number 13, Paul says, And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. He goes, I can see how this is affecting other people, and I need to confront this before it really hurts them, before they go down a path that that will be more difficult for them to return. This is not our personal preferences. I care for others because I really don't like the way you're doing things. Every single one of us are unique. If you talk to a mechanic or talk to a builder, oftentimes they'll say, well, I wouldn't have done it that way. That's not what we're talking about here. This is a genuine care for other people. So there's some guidelines we must follow. First of all, listen before you speak. Second, check yourself. Look at yourself first. The Bible talks about removing the beam out of your own eye before you try to take the speck out of someone else's eye. Next one is watch your words. Pray before, during, and after the conversation, and ultimately trust in God in every step of the, of the way. Our motivation must be for others, not because it just annoys me or because it bothers me, but because I see how it's going to affect you and others around you. That's our motivation. Secondly, it's a care for truth. A care for others, but also a care for truth. That passage continues on in verse number 14. Paul didn't react until verse number 14 says, But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the gospel of truth. Sorry, the truth of the gospel. Let me read that verse again. But when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. In a natural tendency, when we have a conflict, when we confront somebody, we have a natural tendency to take the truth and exaggerate it. We overstate things. If you are in a a disagreement with your spouse, we have a natural tendency to exaggerate and say, you always and you never. And the, the, the source of that is because we want to win. Ultimately, I want to win the argument. I don't think I've ever started a disagreement with my wife that says, I really want to lose this one. That just naturally happens. You don't start with, I want to lose. You start with, I want to win. So we have a natural tendency to exaggerate. We have a natural tendency to take the truth and to stretch it. We must tell the truth, not exaggerate or overstate things. Because that's what it says there. He says, I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. He says, this is not in line with what is true. And my motivation is for you, for others. It's also, I want to stand for what is true. So the two questions of confrontation is, first of all, what is my motivation? Secondly, is what is the solution? It's all well and good to have an opinion. If you went to a mechanic and the mechanic says your car is broken, the natural next question is, 
how much to fix it. But if your mechanic said, oh, I don't know how to fix it, I just know it's broken, that's useless. You want someone that's going to say, I can see that it's broken, but don't worry, I have a solution. If you go to the doctor, you don't want to be the, the, the patient. They go, I've never seen this before. You want to go to the doctor where they say, I know exactly what to do. You definitely don't want to go to the doctor and the doctor says, oops. Here the solution is, I do not nullify the grace of God. Just like earlier, and turn that around. I'm going to exalt, I'm going to bring out the grace of God. His solution was more grace. Let me define that word for you. That word grace is a Bible word that simply means the unmerited favor of God. And another way of saying that is God's favor upon the undeserving. Because I don't deserve it, you don't deserve it, we must rely upon God to give it to us. With that solution in Ephesians chapter number 4, verse 29, it says, Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. You can have the right solution. You can have the right answer but share it in the wrong way. You can tell all the truth and all the facts and have no grace and have total disunity. And you leave really frustrated with this confrontation because you think to yourself, I told them the truth, but there was absolutely no grace. So therefore, there was no unity. It caused disunity. And we leave frustrated, scratching our heads, wondering why the truth alone did not cause unity. It's because the solution is grace. With that, we must confront in humility. Confront in humility. Galatians chapter number 6, verse 1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness and here's the act of humility keeping watch on yourselves lest you too be tempted but for jesus christ in our lives where would we be today without the grace of god experienced in my life i don't know where i would be today but I certainly know I wouldn't be living the life that I live today if I had to do this in my own strength, in my own power. In Proverbs chapter number 15, verse 1, it says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stirs up anger. We must confront in humility. With that humility, we start with common ground. It's so easy to point out other people's problems. Have you noticed that? There's a statistic that I don't remember the exact figures, but it's something remarkable like 90%. 90% of drivers think that they are good drivers. And then the other statistic is something like 70% of drivers think that other drivers are, the ba are bad drivers. Like whatever the statistic is, it's way out of balance. Like everyone thinks they're a good driver and no one else is. This act of humility is to, first of all, to find common ground. Paul here in this passage takes and, and changes a little bit. With Galatians chapter 2, verse 15, that finding common ground, he uses we and our statements. 
he takes it and he says earlier, he, he states the truth. And then he says, you know what? We're in this together. I understand exactly what you are experiencing. Earlier in the book of Galatians, he explains who he was before Jesus Christ, how he was a lover of the law and how he would never have associated with those people. And now he's living 180 degrees different. So he says, I understand exactly what you're experiencing. And later on, as he goes through in verses 15 and through 16, he talks about um, sin and how they, they, we, we actually really do suffer from that. And he goes in verse number 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. He goes, we, I understand exactly where you're coming from. And he goes on and he tells his own story and his own account. Because with that humility, confronting with humility or in humility, it's find common ground. Second is share your story. You have a story to share. You have something that is powerful, how God has worked in you and through you. There's something that you can add to this. So it's not just do as I say, not as I do. You say, I've experienced this for myself. I have a picture of Colonel Sanders, the founder of KFC or Kentucky Fried Chicken. And it's not just up there to make you hungry, although it does sound pretty good for lunch today. I was on YouTube this week and a little icon came up with his testimony so i clicked on it and then nine minutes later i learned something incredible about a a guy who i like this chicken but now i know a little bit about his story let me tell you the story it was it was a video from 1979 before i was even born and in 1979 he was 89 years old as he's giving this interview and this interview talks about his, his, his past. It also talked about his salvation and his view for the future. And as an 89-year-old man, he was looking back upon when he was 66 years old. He had one chicken store that sold delicious chicken. And through circumstances, that ended up closing down. And he had enough money just to pay his debts. And now he's at retirement age, starting all over again. And through the course of his delicious chicken, he sold off some other things and became, he started, sold off some franchises to his business and over the course of a few years became a millionaire and turned his business right around. And he grew up religious and he knew what to do and tried to do what was right. And so he gave a lot of money to charity, a lot of money to different churches. And he gave money to the Salvation Army, a lot of money to the Salvation Army, in order, because he knew that they would help people. He was trying to do the right thing with his money. In fact, he, he made a statement, or I wrote it down because I thought it was pretty good. There's no use being the richest man in the cemetery because you can't do anything there. And so his attitude was, I want to help people. But as the course of years went by, he remained empty. And as a 77-year-old man, he said, I've tried giving money away. I've tried being generous. And he says, I've always had a trouble with, he said, with my language. I swear all the time. And he says, I cursed with the best of them. I, I could give you every curse word, and I used them all the time. And he says, I always struggled with that and tried to stop, but I never could. I tried to give more money away, and it just wouldn't uh, let me stop swearing. And then something happened as a 77-year-old man. He came to know Christ as his Savior, and it transformed his life. 
He was still a generous man, but now he had a purpose behind his generosity. He was still a generally kind man, but now he had a real grace behind the kindness. And now several years later, as an 89-year-old man who ended up dying the year after, 1980, as a 90-year-old, he tells how his life is happier now than it's ever been in the past. And it wasn't because of his wealth. It wasn't because of his popularity or because of the chicken. It was because he had a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And he could share his story and say, this is where I used to be. These are the struggles that I went through. But here's what Jesus Christ has done. We need to find common ground and share your story. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul did in this passage. In verse number 20, re-explains once again who he used to be beforehand. He says in verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He's saying, I know who I used to be, but to now I am in Jesus Christ. He was sharing his story. He was confronting with humility. He was telling someone no that would naturally cause disunity and division with the goal with grace to bring it together because he found common ground and he shared his own story. A quote that I came across this week says this, You never know God is all you need until God is all you have. He confronted in humility, but we also must confront in grace. The goal with grace is the fact that we're in this together. As you are built up, I'm built up. As you're brought down, I'm brought down. But we're in this together. In Galatians chapter number 3, verses 20, verse 28, the Apostle Paul teaches this. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That verse right there is absolutely revolutionary to his mindset. Early as a, as a young man, Paul would have totally rejected that. But now he is saying, there's no matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile. No, it doesn't matter what your heritage is. It doesn't matter whether you're slave or free. It doesn't matter if you're rich, a multimillionaire, or if you're on welfare. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. The same Jesus loves us all. We have the same grace, the same status before God, which brings us together. In two weeks' time, we have Everybody's Sunday, and we're starting a new series on Everybody's Sunday where we're talking about some of the, the doctrines of God, but trying to make them practical. And we're going to look at justification in two weeks' time. But just to give you a little bit of a teaser, the Apostle Paul in verse, verses 16 and 17 of that passage mentions the word justify four times. And justification as a definition says this, the act of God whereby he declares the believing sinner righteous in Jesus Christ. Let me read verse 16 for you. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, 
not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Let me read that definition of justification once again. The act of God, whereby he declares the believing sinner righteous in Jesus Christ. In two weeks, we're going to talk about that. I mean, I really encourage you, not just because it's everybody's Sunday, but that principle and that thought is revolutionary in the way that we view our salvation and the way we, we view our forgiveness because it comes down to God's grace. So when we confront, not if you confront, but when, because it's going to happen, you confront, first of all, with humility and in grace. You need to check our motivation. Also check the solution. Let me turn that around a little bit. For those two points. What about when you're on the receiving end, when someone is correcting you or confronting you? you know, we need to check our own motivation. Am I being obstinate? Am I saying no just because I don't like when people tell me no? Also, check the solution. Is the solution biblical or is it just someone's opinion? Because just like that sign on the freeway, wrong way, go back. No one likes to be told no, but it can be the kindest words you've ever heard, the, the, the saving words you, you need to hear. In a moment, we're going to pray. And we're going to sing a song, and before you know it, we'll be out the door. And I hope you stick around for a time of fellowship and meet some people and enjoy tea or coffee. But before we rush off for the rest of the day, stop for a moment. I want you to think about and kind of check yourself. Check your motivation. Check the solution. And is it filtered through God's grace?